Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. very first Black Robe Regiment Tomahawk will go to our pastor, Pastor Chris McRae. Here is his name. Do you see a Revolutionary War pastor carrying a Bible? Black Robe Regiment. And on this side is the Lion of Judah and the cross. And it says 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 through 5. Preach the word in season and out. Pastor Chris, please come and accept your tomahawk. Hey, welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. And as promised, our guest tonight is Buck Sexton, the host of the Buck Sexton Show. Each day on the national radio program, he discusses the news, information, and events that matter most to the daily lives of Americans, from business and politics to entertainment and social issues. He shares his candid, passionate takes on the latest local, national, and global headlines and welcomes a variety of guests and experts. Buck previously served as a CIA officer in the Counterterrorism Center and in the Office of Iraq Analysis. He completed tours of duty as an intelligence officer in Iraq and Afghanistan, as well as other hot, hot spots around the globe, and led intelligence briefings for senior U.S. officials, including President George W. Bush, Vice President Dick Cheney. Sexton also served in the New York Police Department, NYPD Intelligence Division, working on counterterrorism and counter-radicalization issues, and he is a native of New York City. Buck, thanks so much for joining us and being here on the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. Alan, honored to be with you, man. Thank you for having me. This is a great thing. You know, as we were chatting before we came on air, you know, the monologue today was about the First Amendment, freedom of the press. But yet the left, I don't think they believe in the three branches of the government. They believe in the three branches of rule, media, academia, and the courts. And right now they're in an apoplectic meltdown because they think that they're losing control on the courts and they can't implement their ideological agenda. But what we see happening is a media that does not want to report and tell the truth. You want to talk about the real collusion. It's not Russia and Donald Trump. It's the media and the DNC, your perspective. Well, look, I think anybody who is paying attention and being honest about it would have to say that what we often refer to as the mainstream media, I prefer to call it the Democrat corporate media, uh, because I, I agree with those who say, why give them the unearned title of mainstream, right? It's not like there was some vote where all of a sudden NPR, we decided was what well, was mainstream. 
No, it's these are these are corporate media outlets that have uh, stretching back for decades now been run by for uh, by and for the benefit of the Democrat Party and and the left. And I think what we've seen is efforts to consolidate uh, as much power, as much cultural and information dissemination power as possible by these left wing entities, not by persuading even internally in the companies. I'm not thinking of social media, major corporations. But, you know, Alan, they realize all they have to do is seize the HR department and then so much of the rest will, will follow. You know, I know you're a student of history, particularly military history and the enemy, the enemies that we faced. I think a lot of Americans forget that there was a time when the Soviet Union had commissars, political officers mm -hmm. that they embedded everywhere in military units and yes. what what went for media, you know, newspapers and, and radio at the time. Um, down to the factories, down to the, the local shops and stores. They had someone whose only job was to make sure, and it really was their job, to make sure that you spouted the party line, you didn't criticize the government. And if you did, you'd disappear, you'd get sent to a, a gulag, and, and that was the reality of life in living memory for a whole lot of people. Mm -hmm. So we have a version of the commissar today, Alan, but it's the woke HR police, um, and also just the the entities, as you mentioned, some of the, the media entities that I think view their role not so much as informing, but as policing speech and, and limiting debate and free expression as much as possible. It's perverse that the media does that, but they do. You know, it's amazing to me. And when you go back and you look at the Obama administration and some of the things that they did toward the media, I, I'm thinking about James Rosen, where they went after him. But you know, yet when it comes to them being in in power, uh, they are they're not looking for anyone to hold them accountable or responsible whatsoever. And I go back and I think about you and I were in Afghanistan, and when Joe Biden steps up to the podium and completely changes the narrative while we have this debacle going on, and it becomes mandated vaccines, and that's the story. And there is no more talk about what is happening in Afghanistan. There's no more talk about the 13 Marines, a uh, sailor and a soldier who lost their life there. So you would think that at least in national security and foreign policy issues, it wouldn't be ideological. But they have taken over that aspect as well. You know, Alan, I can't remember who first said it, but it's been circulating for quite some time among us, us conservatives. And it's the notion that for the left, and I have to say, I think the left used to be a a faction within the Democrat Party, and now it's really the vanguard. Mm -hmm. So not all Democrats are leftists, but the leftists are actually now running the Democrat Party, which is different than what we had before. I would argue that that's a transformation that really began under Obama and has really accelerated, you know, has accelerated over the last uh, few years, in particular under Donald Trump. But but I, I think that the uh, the phrase that I want to mention was uh, that for Democrats, for leftists, they have no enemies abroad, only enemies at home. I, I don't know if you recognize that quote, but it's yeah. true. It is. Um, they view even external foreign policy challenges now as first and foremost a function of the ability to maintain and wield power domestically. And that is, you know, uh, 
partisanship stops at the uh, at our borders or you know at the nation's edge or variations on other phrases that's not true obviously and hasn't been true for quite some time now um and and it's disconcerting but i do think that part of the leftist project is and which again runs the democrat party now is whether you're talking about um foreign policy goals or you're talking about sports or you're talking about uh, health policy, mm-hmm. everything must be politicized now. They insist on the politicization of all things through a partisan lens. And we see the results of that all around us, I think, all the time. You know, it's funny you, you bring that up because at the beginning of this week, we saw uh, Secretary Mayorkas go on one of the Sunday news programs. And here's a guy that actually, without cracking a smile or anything, looked at the camera and said, you know, we're doing real good on the on the border. Now, I don't know what parallel universe he lives in, but the fact that he is not challenged on that, three million people have come across the border illegally uh, in just a year and a half, 800,000 getaways, people we don't even know. Is there no pride, is there no shame with the, with the leftists that, as you have said, have taken over this outlet uh, are they so focused on the the purposeful and intentional undermining of the sovereignty of the United States that the truth does not matter to them? Well, Alan, it all depends on what the actual goals are, right? I mean, you're yeah. you're approaching this. I think Mayorkas thinks he is doing a fantastic job. <laughs> you see that, yeah. and you say, "Well, that's crazy because the border is a sieve. It's it's almost a de facto open border, and the fentanyl and the illegals and all the things that are that are just and that the cartels, cartels the most powerful transnational criminal organization on the planet right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Um, and all that's going on. You and I sit here and say, "Well, that's clearly failure, right?" Well, it all depends on what your priorities are. Yeah, I, I, I guess. You I know, guess this Machiavellian, yeah, this Machiavellian, the ends justify the, the, the means, and we know what their means are. But how can these people in the media sit there and, uh, you know, with a straight face, I guess, and say, hey, it's fine. Uh, border czar Kamala Harris, who's never been to the border, everything's cool. Laugh it off. I, I think, Alan, it leads us back to the same point, same place. You and I sit here and your audience watching is sitting at home thinking we're supposed to have a border that's secure. We're supposed to have rule of law. So clearly the destruction of that rule of law is bad. Right. So that's so that's how we approach this. Whether you're talking about Mayorkas or the Biden administration or the members of the media that see this and don't challenge it, they, they don't view it as bad. The only thing they view as bad is the American people learning about it and understanding what's really going on there because it's a threat to their power in the short term. Their mission, I think, uh, and and you see this more openly now from Democrats than ever before, is to create a state of so much bureaucratic uh, chaos and and effectively legal anarchy at the border that you always have this ongoing flood of illegals into the country with the idea that over time this tilts the election, uh, the electoral map, I should say, and, and various elections in the Democrat camp. They're playing a numbers game and they figure yeah. that illegals will either eventually be made 
everyone who says they won't get the right to vote, the moment they're permanently legalized through an amnesty, the next move will be the Democrats giving them the right to vote. Yeah. But also, of course, there'll be um, more states like California and New York, my own state, that want to treat them as de facto legal. And they're even trying to give them the right to vote in local and local elections here. Mm -hmm. That just got that slapped down in New York. So they view this as a, as a power play. So, yeah, you and I sit here and say, how can the media not challenge it? Well, uh, well uh, Alan, it's because media is actually quietly rooting for this, too. They, they don't want to talk about the border. The border, as you and I know, 65, 70 percent of the country thinks illegal immigration is a problem and is a bad thing. And those are numbers Democrats can win with. So they don't want people talking about it. So that transitions to this point. You, without a doubt, being in the conservative media, you've got a target on your back. And so what have you seen the means by which the left is trying to suppress your voice, your thoughts, your perspectives getting out there? Well, I mean, the biggest thing that I saw um, was over the course of covid the because people kept talking about election, uh, the, the, the lockdown on election discussion, even. Right. So if you say, hey, I think there was I don't know if we're going to bleep this out if we put this on YouTube. <laughs> if, you, if you say I think there was fraud in the 2020 election. Yeah, they shut that down, which is scary. But they had already been shutting people down like me who said, hey, lockdowns. There is no basis in the medical literature for the success of lockdown. In fact, if anything, it was the opposite. They had thought about this and realized you're not going to stop it. And so what are you really trying to accomplish with these with these maneuvers? Um, and, and I think what we all saw was the Democrat power grab and a lot of things that they were trying to accomplish it just wasn't about, uh, you know, eventually it became clear it wasn't about health. But they shut people down. I mean, they shut me down for talking about masks. Everything I said about masks was true. Mm -hmm. And and now you have the active not only social media suppression of conservative voices, but the New York Times did a totally BS hit piece on me, acting like I was some like vaccine conspiracy theorist or something. I was right 90% of the time about everything I said about COVID. It didn't matter to them though. Um, and they, you know, they, they took they took a cheap shot there and really were trying to go after me uh, for saying things like, hey, maybe the vaccines don't work as well as advertised. I don't know, let's just think about this a little bit. So you had that, you had the fact checking industry yeah. in me, which is hilarious. I mean, this is, if you're too much of a loser to just sit there and take orders in the New York Times newsroom or something, you go work at PolitiFact and you are effectively a propagandist for the left pretending to be checking out, uh, you know, the factual basis for things. Uh, so social media, big media, Democrat Party and, and the fact checking apparatus all looking not only to suppress conservative voices, but they wanted action taken. I mean, they really did want people fired for on the issue of COVID specifically being right, but it didn't matter because you weren't going along with a consensus at the time. It was terrifying. And, and all these journalists, I mean, you know, terrifying, not like I'm scared of these people, but you know, I thought we lived in a country that was supposed to have mm -hmm. free speech. We don't live in a country where free speech is a principle that both sides believe in. One side is fighting for it. The other side is trying to kill it. Well, I think the, uh, the, the left believes in the freedom of acceptable speech or accepted speech. As long as you have some you know, lesser version of what they have approved that can get out there, they will allow you to say it. But otherwise, this very Marxist, Saul Alinsky, rules for radicals type of uh, appeal, they will come at you, you know, wholeheartedly. Uh, but 
when I look at what I see in the marketplace, do you see that there is a shift, a change that the American people are realizing, hey, we've got to come out of this darkness? I think it is beginning. I do think there is some cause for optimism with that, with regard to that specific point you raise, Alan. Um, I, I do believe that conservatives have actually had to undergo something of a, a shift in their thinking about just, oh, I, I'm going to I'm going to keep my Disney Plus subscription even after I find out that Disney is trying to teach all this, you know, sort of trans indoctrination stuff through its content. You know, I'm going I'm going to keep watching the NBA and paying for really expensive basketball tickets even after players, the most prominent players and the league take very anti-law enforcement positions. You know, conservatives have realized, guys, they keep winning because they, they the left, say what you will about them, I say a lot, they do mobilize economically along their ideological lines. Now, I'm fine with a company that wants to sell toilet paper just selling toilet paper. Like, I don't actually want all companies to be politicized, mm -hmm. but when a company that sells toilet paper says, hey, you know, we think that our like, you know, our law enforcement is all racist or, hey, we think that anybody who doesn't want to have drag queen story hour for their five year olds is a bigot. Um, we either take action against that company or it just keeps getting worse. And, and I think that's a recognition that you've seen happen. I think Governor DeSantis in Florida, uh, your you know, previous uh, Hope State, Alan, um, I think his fight with Disney has really uh awoke in a sleeping giant. Mm -hmm. No, without a doubt. And I, I think it's so funny that now you see Gavin Newsom advertising in the state of Florida for people to, quote unquote, come to a place where there is freedom, move to California. Hello, uh, McFly. Uh, you know, there are no U-Haul vans going into California. The U-Haul vans are leaving out of there. And I guess this this dystopian crazy reality bubble that they live in uh, because they do talk in, in, in an echo chamber. But I do believe, as you just said, that people are starting to break outside of that echo chamber. Last question, and because I know you have to go. Um, what do you see as the future for conservative media outlets? I'm happy to see that there are there are now not only a lot of people that are involved in the movement and and creating their own content instead of necessarily all trying to go to the the same the same outlets. I mean, look, I, I obviously I work for a very big uh, radio company and and I have nothing but love and respect for Fox News. But I also think that the all of the above approach that we can have for people building their own, having their own voice, their own audience. I think that's that's all to the good. Um, and the, the thing that really makes me uh, optimistic is there are these, th there's a greater awareness now that you have to be, I guess, vertically integrated might be a way to put it. You, you have to have a, a payment processor that's not anti-conservative. You have to have a platform, whether it's Rumble or, or Parler or Getter or these, and they're nascent still. I mean, they're, some of them are really getting up and running more, but you think about what a world is like where we're not even beginning to put that infrastructure in place. Um, and I think the Amazon uh, cutting off of Parler at the knees effectively right after the 2020 election, that was a big wake up call to people. Yes. I mean, when, when your web servicing 
web services host uh, decides that you no longer exist on the internet and they and there's no consequence to them and they can just do that, you realize we can't rely on the good faith of the other side anymore. So that's all happening now. And uh, you know, I see some of these projects and things that Peter Thiel and some other, not even necessarily, they're not dogmatic conservatives, but just big names, uh, people with, with real money to put behind these projects, that they're doing this kind of stuff makes me think that um, we're gonna keep keep on uh, increasing. That's my always been my thing for conservatives, whether it's you or other people that I consider friends in the movement. Mm-hmm. I just say, guys, wh- why is anyone on the right? You, you, know, you got no enemies on the right in media as far as I'm concerned, because we have such a small, we're on this little island of media. We should be building a much bigger, look at, the, look at what they've got. Yeah. You know, we can, we can squabble when we have you know, a dozen different news channels that are all just par- parroting our point of view. And when we've got total control of social media platforms, you know, then we can squabble. In the meantime, we're in the bunker together. That's how no. I feel. How no, I feel. you're absolutely right. We got to lock shields and we got to support each other. And with that being said, uh, where can people follow you, website, your, your programming and everything? Oh, thanks so much. I mean, I do a great uh, radio show, the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show on Premier Networks, which I hope folks will check out. Uh, it's in the old slot uh, that Rush Limbaugh built up into the biggest radio time slot in the country. And uh, a simple thing, if anyone wants to subscribe to this Buck Sexton show podcast, it's a separate podcast. It's only about 20 minutes long. I kind of do a quick rundown of the day's events and uh, I'd love to have some folks uh, check that out. I put it out Monday through Friday. Well, awesome. And it is a pleasure to be on this battlefield and lock shields with you. And thank you so much for taking time to be on the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. You too, Alan. It's been an honor. Good to see you, my friend. Talk soon. God bless. I just want to say thanks to Buck Sexton for taking time out of his busy schedule to be here with us on the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. Buck is without a doubt on the leading edge of conservative media here in the United States of America. And as you heard him say, you know that you're going to take flack when you're over the target. But we want to encourage you to make that stand and understand that you can't sit back and allow the other side to dictate the narrative to dictate the talking points, to understand and manipulate the truth. We want to arm you with the truth. And Buck Sexton is a great outlet for you to understand what is happening in our world today with all of his great expertise. So thanks, Buck, for joining us. And if you like the Steadfast and Law podcast, hit that like button, share it with others, because we've got to make sure that we protect the longest-running constitutional republic that the world's ever known. Good night. Before they burn it down